Welcome to episode two of Teen People, the podcast that shares the stories of those who appeared in the pages of Teen People magazine. Last week, I spoke with Karen Levis, a picture book author and university lecturer from Brooklyn. This week, my guest is Ashley Canino, a writer and media professional from New York. She was part of the September 2002 issue of Teen People, appearing in a fashion spread called Fashion for Everybody. In a shoot featuring busty, petite, and curvy bodies, 13-year-old Ashley was described as boyish. It was a label that didn't quite sit right with her at the time, nor in the intervening years. I spoke with Ashley in April, as she and her fiancé were in lockdown in New York. She had not seen her Teen People photo shoot in years, so I began the interview by sending her a copy. I took a photograph of your Teen People photo. Do you actually have a copy of, of the magazine that you were in? I don't. I don't. I don't remember the last time I saw it was. Okay, I'm actually going to send this picture to you right now. <laughs> oh, no. This is taking me back to when I was waiting for the magazine to come out anxiously. Oh, yep, there it is. Wow. So you were 13 then. And you were part of a fashion editorial called Fashion for Everybody. So you were in the boyish category. What did you think about how you and the other models were described? It's all it's all problematic. I do imagine teenagers, a 13-year-old girl, trying to dress for her body type. And the idea of it really turns me off. Um, and looking at this outfit, my God... <laughs> These jeans have like a one and a half inch crotch. <laughs> yeah, they're very low rise. None of these, none of these clothes fit me. Yeah, this this was not me in the least bit. You know, now that you say this, your face and your expression looks a little tense. I also had a huge crush on the photographer. <laughs> oh my god, some gossip. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So much of this was burned into my brain about the experience and what was written. But I didn't really remember the picture of the clothes at all. Well, the clothes are American Eagle Outfitters um, low-rise corduroys with the waistband cut off, which I guess was the style at the time. Extremely low-rise. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Very. Uh, would you wear that today? No, there was no point in my life. <laughs> um, uh, no. And, you know, the pants and the top were both clipped with huge binder clips. I also feel like this necklace is a little mature for a 13-year-old. <laughs> it's a little got a little bit of a mom vibe going. But remember on the day of the shoot, um, I was... You know, they gave me the clothes to change into, and I was wearing a Winnie the Pooh training bra because, of course, at, at 13, I was, quote-unquote, boyish. I had nothing to speak of, um, but I had my modesty. Um, so I kept this Winnie the Pooh striped training bra 
on <laughs> underneath this top. And the top is kind of low cut. It's a little bit sheer. So there was no way that was going to work. Um, so I heard one of the stylists shout whisper to a, you know, a female assistant, can you tell her to take off the bra? <laughs> Aww. Yeah. That's, and, that's so sad, but, um, that bra sounds really awesome. <laughs> you know what? Right now it would probably be in. <laughs> it totally would be. I can see some like 21 year old on Instagram wearing that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, I don't know if you can see the text on the side, um, but there's a little description about your style, your personal style. Um, it says that you have this um, athletic clothing that you like to wear. Comfort is your number one priority. Um, and your uniform is jeans and a T-shirt. So that's all true. Um, still. <laughs> But it's funny because the the way that this shoot came about for me is I was outside of my school um, with a few friends, and I was dressed in a tank top and basketball shorts and sneakers and a basketball cap. And this woman with a Polaroid camera came up to me and asked me if she could take photos of me. And I said, wow. yes. Which is <laughs> <It's> like horrifying. <laughs> you couldn't do that today. Exactly. When I came home and told my mother about it, she was like, <laughs> <laughs> What did she say? She freaked out. Um, but then, you know, the woman actually called. You know, I told her, Oh, she said she was from T People. She was a sticker. <laughs> it's like anybody can have a sticker. Um, so the woman did call that night, you know. But when my mom came in for the shoot with me and saw the Polaroids from that day, she was horrified. <laughs> she was like, you are dressed like you cleaned the gym. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot of shaming associated with this. So much. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Um, you described in the little blurb, um, what does it say? Drawn to sports-inspired styles, she sometimes shops in the guys' department, and it's not just the salespeople who want to give her directions to the dress department. You said, my mom can't stand it. She says, that's the boys' section. Can we go over to this side of the store? And I'm like, no, this side is better. Reading this in 2020 is just, like, it's so textbook. It's so clear that I should have been able to wear whatever I want. There shouldn't have been any shame around it. That my body type has nothing to do with my gender. Like there are all of these things that I feel like we are, you know, for the most part lucky to just kind of know innately in our generation now. But clearly whatever generation was in charge at this time, it's one of the reasons that magazines like this have gone away. You know, younger kids can find people more relevant to them online for, you know, for better or worse. Uh, it's interesting looking through the rest of the spread um, because there's obviously the petite category. There's the busty category. Yep. I remember. There's her. curvy. There's tall. There's hippie. Mm-hmm. And then there's you, boyish. Yep. So I wonder what the editorial meeting was like for each of those categories. Like, how do we come up with a way of um, 
finding girls who fit these different categories and then putting them in these different categories. And I mean, it's, they clearly had some awareness that boyish wasn't really the right word to use at this time and still went with it. I mean, to think about looking at any teenage girl and saying that she should be dressing a certain way according to her measurements is, it's just bizarre. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you weren't even finished developing at 13 years old. Yeah. And, and what 13 year old should be spending any fragment of their brain thinking, are these the right genes for my body type? Yeah. Yeah, it's that idea of still like being able to have your childhood as long as possible, which I think is really important. Yeah, or at least get to spend it exploring and discovering and not kind of being told how to be or how to understand mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I feel really grateful to that that era for us in social media because it gave me some exposure to my larger community that I didn't have at home, that I didn't have at school, that I didn't have in magazines. And it it just gave me another place to source my values from. Tell me about how your career has developed. So I would say... um, Until the last few years, my career was mostly dictated, like most people, by where the opportunity is and and paying the bills. I stayed in the city for college. I got into a school in Connecticut, but I couldn't afford to go. And I'm, you know, very happy that I went to City College of New York here because, you know, I went to a different kind of public school for high school at the time, you know, that I was in Teen People. It was more of a private school environment, and I wasn't exposed to a lot of other kids like me or in my socioeconomic class or from different backgrounds. So it broadened my experience in a lot of different ways um, that I'm grateful for. And from there, I basically took the first job that I could get, which was working in, in media planning, which is you know an industry that I had no idea about until I got the job. Uh, which and most of my coworkers are in the same boat, but they're the media planners are the people who decide how a brand should spend their advertising dollars. And all these years later, you know, ten years later now, I am working as a writer, um, and I write advertising research uh, studies and and different sorts of papers. Um, so that's that's part of my professional career right now. Uh, the other part of it is that I run a moving company with my fiance. So <laughs> a little all over the map. He was running the moving company. He's been running it for 10 years. And for the last year and a half or so, we've been running it as a, you know, more of a partnership. We're closed right now. So that's challenging. I was going to ask you about how the pandemic is affecting your work as a writer. Um, but I didn't know that you had a side gig. Um, so that's, that's interesting to hear. I, I would imagine people are not moving right now in New York if they can help it. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we made the decision to shut down initially because it was just too difficult to keep all of our employees safe in that kind of environment where you're having to go into other people's homes. 
yes, this is going to go on a lot longer than anyone expected, and so fewer people are moving. So when we can turn the lights back on and, and bring our team back and get them back, you know, receiving a paycheck, it's really dependent not just on when we start to get to leave our homes again, but when people are comfortable enough to just pick up and move because they want to and not because they have to. What's it feeling like to to live in New York City right now? I've been seeing on my Twitter feed, um, I follow a number of people from New York, and they're just saying things like, the sound of sirens is constant. That's not something that I'm experiencing in my city. Um, We've had a few cases here, but certainly nowhere near the level that's happening, for example, in Toronto or in New York. Uh, What's what's it like? How do you feel in New York right now? It's it's definitely been traumatic. I mean, you want to lose the house at least to get some air. Um, but I think even when you're on, if you're on the street with other people, you wish you were the only person on the street. And if you're on an empty street, it, it couldn't feel emptier. The, the city, every time I leave the apartment, and we go for a walk, you know, with our face masks and our gloves and our hand sanitizer. Um, there's another row of businesses that have shut down, and it's it's not clear how many will be back. There's a lot of sort of decay. Um, you know, there we're obviously losing people. There's a hospital in our neighborhood, and there's a trailer outside, um, and it's oh for bodies from, you know, from this horrible, horrible crisis that we're in. So there are reminders everywhere you look of, of the realities of it. Um, I think we are finding ways to connect with people that we wouldn't have before. And that's a good thing. And a lot of us are probably self-reflecting. Um, and maybe some good will come with that, but just the practical things of knowing that I have friends who won't be able to pay their rent this month or who are sick, um, or who have lost someone already. It's, it feels, um, similar to 9-11 in just the severity, but the the gruesome part of it is, is still happening. It's so protracted and there's no, there's no enemy to blame. Um, so there's sort of just this diffuse sense of how long are we going to be here? Um, what's going to happen? Yeah. I was thinking about that um, as I was asking you the question, because New York has already been through enough in our lifetimes. Yeah, it's this city is it's it gives so much. I mean, I've never left for a reason. You know, I've traveled, but I've never lived anywhere else and this is definitely where I want to raise my kids. But uh, yeah, being here in New York it exposes you to things in a way that being somewhere else wouldn't. At the same time, I don't know how many people are living in places that are shut down that are still able to order food in and support one of their local restaurants. 
um, you know, in any kind of cuisine that they want. Or, you know, there are a lot of conveniences and ways that we have of supporting each other here that I'm grateful for. There seems to be a culture in New York of strength, and um, that's seen you through before, so it could see you through again. I'm concerned for New Yorkers who feel like they need to be strong right now and don't reach out for help if they need it. Um, And I think that everybody is true. We all have strength, and especially as New Yorkers. But this is going to be going on for a long time, so it's also really important that we all have the support that we need um, so that we can stay strong for as long as we've got to. And hopefully you all have the health care you need as well. Well, that's a whole other story. I mean, (laughs) New York City has made a mental health hotline accessible, which I think is great for, um, you know, specifically for COVID-19. But our our healthcare system, you know, specifically in New York City, we've had so many hospitals close um, and, you know, doctors, nurses, everyone is really doing their best but it's so clear that they're not supported um, the way that they need to be. This crisis has made it clearer than ever how central healthcare is to the general well-being of the country, even from an economic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking at this as a Canadian when we have a publicly funded healthcare system, and um, I can't imagine the additional anxiety of living uh, during this pandemic and not knowing if if I get sick, can I afford to pay for my own care? I think, unfortunately, our, our healthcare system has degraded to a point where right now in New York, people are concerned with, if I get sick, is there going to be a ventilator available for me? If I get sick, am I going to be able to see my family members before... I get much worse or lose consciousness or something. Um, There are such practical concerns to getting sick in the city now that, I mean, paying for them is is low on the list for once, I think. Hmm, That's an interesting perspective. Ashley, before we go, I want to ask you, you were 13 years old when you appeared in Teen People. What advice would you give to your 13-year-old self today? What should she know? That she was right not to care (laughs) at at that moment. Um, I hadn't developed self-consciousness about my body at that point, um, which is why I was so comfortable dressing, quote-unquote, boyishly, I suppose. Um, And I I think at that moment I, I did resist what people were trying to put or project onto me as, you know, a standard of beauty or what a girl should look like or act like. But definitely as I got older, you know, as most kids do, and my body changed, I succumbed to all of the the insecurities, all of them. (laughs) And how are you doing with that today? I guess good days, bad days, definitely a lot better. Definitely a lot better, but I think that even through adulthood, it's something that I kind of have to relearn 
um, as my self-image changes, as my body changes, just relearning um, to appreciate myself. I think that journey starts fresh every day. Join me next time for another episode of Teen People. Subscribe and share with your networks using the hashtag Teen People Podcast. Until then, I'm Anna Soper. <laughs>